Welcome to Today in the World podcast. I am your host, Khalid Chillingford. It is Thursday, October 29th, 2020. Today, American multinational investment bank JP Morgan creates their own cryptocurrency. Spy agency avoids questions about illegally spying on people's phones. Former Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn suspended from the Labour Party for alleged anti-Semitism. And terrorism in Nice. Knife man slits the throat of his victim. Here's what you missed today in the world. Professor warns of totalitarian-style military space empire out of Star Wars. Article from Activist Pulse. If we aren't careful, space could end up controlled by a totalitarian empire, warns John Hopkins University political scientist Daniel Dudney in his new book, Dark Skies. Space Expansionism, Planetary Geopolitics and the Ends of Humanity. Specifically, Dudney warns against the increase of militarization of space and colonization without thought for political consequences. Nations including China and Russia are already beginning to weaponize space with energy weapons and anti-satellite missiles. That's according to the Pentagon last year in a report by CNBC. Don't know about you, but this kind of stuff really annoys me because it's like, what's the point of making these laws? Why do these treaties exist? They're not respected by anyone. And it's not like they're going to let the citizens know when they're being broken or if they're being broken for a just cause. There's no legal reason for them to be broken in the first place, you know. I don't know if there's a war going up in space. I haven't heard about anything on the news. Why, why do you need these, these weapons out in space, you know? What's the point of laws? It seems like the only people that follow them are the citizens, you know? The people that actually bring the laws into power don't follow them at all. What's the point? I don't know about you, but this kind of stuff really annoys me because it's like, what's the point of making these laws? Why do these treaties exist? They're not respected by anyone. And it's not like they're going to let the citizens know when they're being broken or if they're being broken for a just cause. There's no legal reason for them to be broken in the first place. You know, I don't know if there's a war going up in space. I haven't heard about anything on the news. Why, why do you need these, these weapons out in space? You know, what's the point of laws? It seems like the only people that follow them are the citizens. You know, the people that actually bring the laws into power don't follow them at all. What's the point? In a review of Dudney's new book about his concerns, University of Leicester International Relations lecturer Bledin Bowen contends that Dudney's assertions might be a touch morbid. However, he says that Dudney makes a compelling argument that space exploration poses several overlooked perils to our future. Without agreeing with everything Dudney said, Bowen says that his warning should serve as an important counter to space exploration's techno-utopian coating. The main thing to take away from all this information is, as Seattle Pi wrote in a 2015 article, weapons in space put the world at risk. These programs could be especially dire if they are run unsanctioned and unbeknownst to Congress and even the President of the United States by military-industrial complex aerospace corporations. It's quite literally a threat to the national security and American sovereignty, as space is the final frontier, as Neil Armstrong said. However, as Dudney warns, it could also be turned into a battlefront which will give rise to a space empire. Spy agency dodges questions about controversial backdoors in tech products. Article coming in from Reuters and ActivistPost.com. Edward Snowden's whistleblowing campaign exposed the National Security Agency, the NSA, in 2013 for having backdoors into commercial technology products. 
The US spy agency works with some Silicon Valley tech firms to develop covert methods of bypassing the standard authentication or encryption process of a network device so it could scan internet traffic without a warrant. However, a recent inquiry into the new guidelines by Senator Ron Wyden, a top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee, yielded absolutely nothing as the spy agency dodged questions. Secret encryption backdoors are a threat to national security and the safety of our families. It's only a matter of time before foreign hackers or criminals exploit them in ways that undermine American national security, Wyden told Reuters. The government shouldn't have any role in planting secret backdoors in encryption technology used by Americans, he continues. The agency refused to comment on its updated policies on current backdoor processes. NSA officials did say that they were in the rebuilding trust phase with the private sector. At NSA, it's common practice to constantly assess processes to identify and determine best practices, said Anne Neuberger, who heads NSA's year-old cybersecurity directorate. We don't share specific processes and procedures. I don't remember the correct um, terminology for it, but I've seen this before when you know senators are in um, these meetings on TV and they're asking tough questions. To I've seen it with Facebook. Um, happened with Microsoft a while ago in the 90s. Um, yeah, holding people to account. But the thing is, as time goes forward, you know, I mean, the first time I saw this, sorry to keep backtracking, but the first time I saw that happening, I was like, wow, democracy in action. Yeah, well done. That You know, we're, we're making moves. We're, keep, we're holding people accountable. But I don't know. Nowadays, it just always seems to be going around in circles like this. It gets to the point where you're just thinking, why do these committees even exist? They don't do anything. They do absolutely nothing apart from giving this illusion that something is going to be done about rogue institutions. And at the time, further solidifying their position as an untouchable by nothing ever being done to prevent the illegal activities that they're doing. You know, so we're just going around in a circle. And it's quite irritating to watch if you actually believe in the sanctity of democracy. You know, it's like once you say you're a police officer or a soldier or an agent with a spy agency, it's like you can break any law you can or you want to, in the name of, you know, national security. No one's going to charge you with anything. You just get these pointless committee questions that go nowhere. Ruta cites one of the clearest examples of the NSA working with private tech firms to build backdoors. NSA's approach involved an encryption system component known as Dual Elliptic Curve, or Dual EC. The intelligence agency works with the Commerce Department to get the technology accepted as a global standard. But Cryptographers later showed that the NSA could exploit dual EC to access encrypted data. What this all suggests is that Snowden's revelations of NSA's spy tools really didn't change the agency's practices over the last seven years. Backdoors are still being used as the surveillance state marches on. American multinational investment bank JP Morgan creates their own cryptocurrency. News from news.bitcoin.com. After JP Morgan analysts praised Bitcoin, saying that the price of the cryptocurrency could triple, JP Morgan reveals that it has set up a dedicated crypto unit and its own cryptocurrency is now being used commercially by a large tech company for the first time. George Akapolos further detailed that the bank is focused on improving wholesale payments, specifically in areas where a better solution could save the industry hundreds of millions of dollars. CNBC noted that as one of the largest players in the industry, 
JP Morgan moves more than $6 trillion a day across more than 100 countries. According to JP Morgan's website, the JPM coin is based on blockchain-based technology, enabling the instantaneous transfer of payments between institutional clients, and a JPM coin always has a value equivalent to one US dollar. In addition, the JPM coin will be issued on Quorum blockchain and subsequently extended to other platforms. I'm still relatively new to the cryptocurrency world, I'm sure so are most people, but I did some quick research on the blockchain that the JPM coin is on, and it's basically built out of the Ethereum blockchain code. This is one of the reasons why Ethereum has gained so much momentum in a relatively short amount of time. It's because developments like this are quickly built out of it. So the JPM coin, as mentioned, is built from Ethereum blockchain. It has broken off into its own private chain called the Quorum blockchain. The main reason for this is because this new Quorum blockchain conforms to current regulations surrounding money and financial assets. It's faster, more scalable, and it's private. The JPM coin itself, as mentioned, is always based off the dollar. So it's not going to be exposed to the regular volatility in the crypto world. However, having said that, it will still be exposed to worldly issues. So when central banks get itchy fingers and money printer go brr, it will obviously affect the JPM coin as well, instantly devaluing the coin. Other than that, the Quorum blockchain is preferred by businesses and institutions basically because it's private. Transactions aren't viewable by just anyone like it is with Bitcoin. I think that's kind of illegal in some other places. So using this new blockchain is fully legal and able to be used instantly for banking services. This is all the proof that we kind of need to see with cryptocurrency to see that it's the future of financial markets. But how successful this JPM coin will be, only time will tell. But for as long as it's fully dependent on the US dollar to determine its value, will mean, of course, it will be fully reliant on the resilience of the United States financial system, which, as we have seen in recent years, is quite fragile and it's kind of collapsing in front of our eyes with the crazy inflation that we've seen since its initial arrival. Mostafa Rajabi Mashadi, deputy head of Iran's power generation, distribution and transmission company, Tavernier, and the spokesperson for the power industry confirmed that these cryptocurrencies can be exchanged according to the regulations set by the central bank. Meher news agency quoted him as saying. Press TV, an Iranian state-owned news and documentary network affiliated with the Islamic Republic of Iran Broadcasting, IRIB, explained, the miners are supposed to supply the original cryptocurrency directly and within the authorised limit to the channels introduced by the CBI. The legal cap for the amount of cryptocurrency for each miner would be determined by the level of the subsidised energy used for mining and based on instructions published by the Ministry of Energy. So in my interpretation of this, on the surface, it looks like the move is intended to save on energy production, which has been an issue for Bitcoin miners as the blockchain grows longer. Cryptocurrency analyst Alareza Shamki told ISNA news agency that the new law is vague and ambiguous. For example, it does not state how the central bank will price cryptocurrencies or the exchange rate between dollars and rials. Previously, miners could exchange their cryptocurrency for dollars, rials or other currencies at market prices. He added that the requirement for miners to report their output to the central bank is not seen in other industries, concluding that the new law will likely reduce the industry's attractiveness and significantly lower miners' profit margin. Iran has issued over 1,000 licenses to crypto miners, including one to the Turkish Bitcoin mining giant iMiner. 
Power plants in Iran are allowed to mine cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin miners have been granted exclusive access to electricity generated from three of them. Meanwhile, over 1,000 illegal Bitcoin miners have been shut down. This is not good news for Bitcoiners at all. As previously mentioned in yesterday's episode, the whole point of Bitcoin is basically to decentralize money. In effect, this new law will look to reverse that, which kind of takes the whole point out of it in the first place. The only good thing about this is that on the surface, it will help to regulate how much energy is being used by Bitcoin miners. But let's be honest, this isn't a good look for Bitcoin, in my opinion. You know, At the end of the day, selling crypto back to the central bank is just recreating the same system Bitcoin was built to change. The only difference is that with the blockchain being intact and public, it's visible to everyone. So it can be publicly scrutinized. But if you can physically shut down miners, you can physically shut down nodes who certify transactions. So all in all, it's looking pretty bleak for Bitcoin users in Iran right now. Labour suspends former leader Jeremy Corbyn. Article from Politico.eu, the Labour Party announced today it has suspended its former leader Jeremy Corbyn pending an investigation. The former Labour leader had earlier responded to a report by the UK's Equality and Human Rights Commission EHRC, which found that the party was responsible for unlawful acts of harassment and discrimination in its handling of complaints of anti-Semitism within its ranks under Corbyn's leadership. In light of his comments made today and his failure to retract them, subsequently the Labour Party has suspended Jeremy Corbyn pending investigation, a spokesperson said. He has also had the the whip removed, which basically means he's been suspended from the Parliamentary Labour Party. Corbyn, who remains a talismanic figure for many on Labour's left wing, responded to the findings shortly after the publication, saying that while he regretted that it took longer to tackle the issue than it should have done, and that one anti-Semite is one too many, the scale of the problem had been dramatically overstated for political reasons by our opponents inside and outside the party, as well as by much of the media. At a press conference, his successor, Keir Starmer, who described it as a day of shame for the party, declined to directly criticise his former leader, saying the report's findings showed a collective failure of leadership. However, he adds that those who claimed accusations of anti-Semitism were exaggerated or a fictional attack were part of the problem and should be nowhere near the Labour Party. When I was reading this, the first thing that comes to mind is, what about when Boris Johnson referred to Muslims who wear headscarves as letterboxes? I mean, that's kind of crazy. As a black man that's been subject to racism and bigotry, I'm all for protecting vulnerable members of our society. But why is it that in the West, we seem to be much quicker and effective at taking actions when it comes to the Jewish community? But when it comes to Muslims or blacks or any other minorities, the same swift action isn't taken at all. You know, there will be some that disagree with that statement because they think that the blacks are overly protected by the left. But I would strongly disagree and say that the left don't protect black people. All they really do is irritate white people. They even irritate me, to be honest. I don't care too much for painting post boxes black in solidarity with BLM or I don't even really support BLM, to be honest, you know, or taking down old statues of white slave owners. I care way more about removing influential members from public office that are openly racist and they have a warped view of the most vulnerable members of our society. That's the kind of action I think that works. And, you know, that doesn't happen with other minorities in the society. It's not something you can argue about. It's just fact. I think people like Trump being in office is a clear example of this fact. Some vulnerable members of society are clearly more protected than others, and that's a problem. The publication Counterfire 
Um, their website is counterfire.org. They say the attack on Jeremy Corbyn is baseless and there's nothing to support it in the EHRC report. At his press conference, Keir Starmer spoke as if the report was a damning indictment of Labour's recent record, but there was no discussion on the report's content. The media focused entirely on the headline claims and repeatedly pushed Starmer on whether he would discipline Jeremy Corbyn, even though there are no specific allegations against Corbyn in the report. One of the issues here is that the report didn't uphold claims by the Jewish labour movement who lodged the original complaint that labour is institutionally anti-Semitic. Secondly, despite widespread discussion of a systemic problem in labour, the report found 18 only borderline cases and three cases in which it believes the party is responsible for breaking the law over anti-Semitism. These are the acts of harassment and discrimination. One of these involves King Livingstone's media comments about Naz Shah MP and two involved in a Rosendale Borough councillor called Pat Bromley. One instance in which Pam Bromley, um, she broke the law, according to the report, by posting on Facebook the following. Looks like fake accusations of anti-Semitism to undermine Labour just aren't working, so let's have Chris Williamson reinstated. Third, the report is made up of criticisms of the complaints processes in the Labour Party. The report found, for example, that the quantity of cases being examined went up once Jenny Formby became General Secretary of the party in 2018, backed by Jeremy Corbyn. There was an increase of 242% in the number of anti-Semitism cases looked at by the Labour NEC panels between 2018 and 2019. In general, the report says there has been an improvement in the rate of determining cases. The report does not claim that the Labour Party failed to act in cases where complaints were upheld. It says only that in cases of successful complaints, it has been difficult to draw conclusions on whether the sanctions applied were fair and consistent. Despite this, and despite the report's recognition that there is not institutional anti-Semitism in the party, it is being presented by Keir Starmer and the media as a condemnation of the Corbyn years. This shouldn't be surprising. Anti-Semitism is a growing problem in society, and the Labour Party is not immune to it. The party is, of course, absolutely right to take a hard line against it. Jeremy Corbyn has a record of opposing anti-Semitism and all forms of racism that are second to none. It was, in fact, precisely his campaigning and principled approach to politics that got him elected as leader in, in the first place. The problem of anti-Semitism in Labour has, however, consistently been inflated by some of those opposed to Corbyn in an attempt to undermine his leadership and to push back against a growing left which, among other things, held the Palestinian cause dear. This report has delivered the headlines that Keir Starmer and the media needed to continue the job of vilifying the left. It has failed, however, to substantiate the claims that are repeatedly made to back up that case. The whole of the left needs to take a stand now to defend Jeremy Corbyn and his record. Stabbing attack at Nice Church. Knifeman slits throat of at least one of his victims, report citing officials say. One of the victims in the Nice attack at a church on Thursday morning had their throat slit, local officials have confirmed to AFP. A terrorism probe was opened as three people died in the stabbing. According to AFP, officials have provided more details regarding Thursday morning's attack, which is now being investigated as terrorism. It is said that at least one of the three victims had their throats cut by the knife man. Local media also reported that two of the victims, a woman and the church keeper, were killed inside the church, while another woman managed to escape but later succumbed to her injuries. It was also reported that several more people were injured. Meanwhile, the media speculated, citing unconfirmed reports, that at least one of the victims was beheaded. 
The mayor of Nice, Christian Astrozzi, called the attacker who was injured and arrested at the scene Islamofascist and told reporters that the man kept repeating Allahu Akbar even while under medication. Estrosi confirmed that the victims had been killed in a horrible way, adding that the methods match, without doubt, those used against the brave teacher, a reference to the school teacher beheaded on October 16th. I'm going to hopefully bring you more on this story as it unfolds, but that's all I have time for today. Um, if you liked it, you know, subscribe, um, share this with your friends. And, you know, I'm going to also be getting a better mic soon because I know that the audio quality isn't the best. But, yeah, give me some time and it will get better. Um, until tomorrow, have a good evening and, yeah, I'll speak to you tomorrow.